Bibles with you, would you open with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians? We're in chapter 2, looking at three verses of Scripture today, 13, 14, and 15. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. If you are able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Friends, as you're being seated, pray once again with me. Father, this is your word. It is true in all that it says and teaches. Let it go forth and penetrate our hearts and minds. May we be changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, please, you may be seated. You know, from time to time, people will ask me, Hey, Pastor Adam, what do you actually do in seminary? I mean, what classes do you take? What does seminary look like? So let me just open this sermon by answering that question. You know, in seminary, we take classes that cover every single book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We take classes on the original languages. We go through Hebrew and Greek. We go through classes on history, church history, and biblical polity. We go through practical ministry classes like on counseling or how to do a hospital visit, homiletics courses, which is the art and science of of preaching. But there's also another course. It's called systematic theology. What is systematic theology? Well, friends, systematic theology tries to answer this question. What does the whole Bible say about a certain topic? For instance, what does the whole Bible say about God? That's called theology. Theology is the study of God. We go through that in that class. Or what does the whole Bible say about man? That's anthropology, the study of man. What does the whole Bible say about the church? That's ecclesiology, or the study of the church. Well, specifically today, I want to zoom in and focus on one other question of systematic theology. What does the whole Bible say about salvation? Friends, that's called soteriology, or the study of salvation. And what we learn, friends, is as we study salvation, we learn that when God wants to take the work that Jesus has done, the atonement, and when he applies it to your life and to my life, that God actually does that in a very specific order. For example... God doesn't usher us into heaven and then bring us to faith in Jesus. That would be out of order. God actually first brings us to faith in Jesus in order to bring us one day into heaven. And friends, I want you to know that this order in the way God applies salvation to believers, we know it in theology as the order of salvation. And we're going to put this order up on the screen. The order of salvation. So here it is, kind of laid out as we learn it in seminary. It goes like this. Predestination or being chosen in Christ, effectual calling, regeneration, 
faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. So this would be known as the order of salvation or Latin ordo salutis. So you might ask, well, hey, Pastor Adam, that's a nice list you got up there. It sounds like a pretty systematic approach to this question. Where do you actually see this in the Bible? Where do we see the order of salvation in the Bible? Let me show you one part. We'll put up the slide. This is Romans 8, 29, and 30. If you recall, this is part of the passage that Daryl read just a moment ago as we were called to worship. And as we read this verse, I want you to look at the words that are underlined because the words that are underlined are in that order of salvation. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom God, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So, friends, what we find is in two verses of the Bible. We have four of those nine parts of the order of salvation, the ordo salutis. Now, although these two verses don't cover the other five parts, the whole Bible does. We, we know that in the Bible, it talks about effectual calling in Corinthians, regeneration in Ephesians, faith and repentance in Galatians and Acts, adoption in Galatians and Romans, perseverance. The whole book of Hebrews is about perseverance. And as we're learning this in seminary, many theologians choose to describe this order of salvation as a chain. Now, I went to Lowe's yesterday, and I bought this chain. And many theologians have described the order of salvation as the great golden chain of salvation. So I told Deirdre, I was like, I got a great idea. I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to buy a chain. I'm going to get a can of spray paint. I'm going to go out and spray it gold. It's going to be shiny and metallic and everyone at Redeemer is going to be able to see it. Well, I got the chain. The spray painting didn't go so well. I think I got more spray paint on my fingers and hands as I did this chain. And it's not shiny golden metallic. It's more of a dull brown gray looking color. But I hope that you can still learn from this illustration despite my failure in painting this chain. Friends, I want you to take a good look at this chain. It has nine links in it. And all nine links are hooked together, aren't they? So we really can say where one link goes, they all go. I mean, if I grab this link in the middle and I pull it to my left, all the links go to the left or all the links go to the right. And they come as a complete set. You see, when you have any one of them, you have all of them. And friends, I want you to know that God teaches us about salvation in much the same way, like this, this chain. When God brings a person to salvation, friends, the work that God starts here, he completes here. So what we learn in the Bible is, come with me here. Those who God has chosen, he calls. Those who he calls, he regenerates and gives them faith and repentance. And they believe and are justified by grace through faith. They're then adopted into God's family. 
they're sanctified and they persevere to the very end. And one day when Jesus comes back, they're going to be glorified. You see, when you have one part, you have them all. This is the great, supposed to be, golden chain of our salvation. And I want you to know, dear friends, what God starts, he completes. As the book of Philippians says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And see, I want you to, today, if you're one of those people who struggles with assurance of salvation, this this sermon, this, not this sermon, this text, text like this should be a blessing to you of hope because it assures you that God is linking all of these things together. And if he started to work in you, dear friend, he's going to complete it because that's what God does in this great chain of salvation. Now, here's my question. What in the world does the text we have in Second Thessalonians have to do with any of this? Look down at your text. Look down at your text in your Bibles. I want you just to scan that text, and I want you to see how many parts of the order of salvation are found in our text today, dear friends. In this text, in these three verses, you have the word chose, you have called, you have saved, which brings about the idea of justification. You have belief, which in, the, in Greek is the same word as faith. You have the word sanctification. You have Paul talking about future glory, which is our glorification. Dear friend, I want you to know in these three verses, the Apostle Paul is once again bringing up this great golden chain of salvation, this ordo salutis, if you will. Now, not all nine of those parts are in this text, but a lot of them are. So let's dive in. And let's see what the Bible's talking about as we study this great chain of salvation. First of all, if you have your bulletin, there's an outline on the back. Follow along with me as we go through this together, dear friend. Because the first thing we want to talk about are these two words, chosen and called. Chosen and called. You see the word chose in verse 13. You see the word called in verse 14. Okay. Here's another question for you. If you are here today and know Jesus as your Savior, when did God start his work of salvation in your life? When? Was it when you came to faith in Jesus? Was it when you were born? You know, as we study the scriptures, we actually find it's neither one of those. The Bible takes us way back. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 4, we'll put it up on the screen. The Bible teaches us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Look at the verse. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This text in Thessalonians, it says it much the same way. If you look down at the text, it says that God chose you as the first fruits. Or another translation is, God chose you, dear friend, from the beginning. Just as Ephesians 1.4 teaches us. So dear friend, I want you to know, the good news of this text for you and for those Thessalonians is this. That our salvation... It didn't start when we came to faith in Jesus. It didn't start when we were born. It didn't even start when God created. It started way before that. Before the foundation of the world, 
Dear friend, we were chosen in Christ. And I want you to think about it this way. I want you to see how much God loves you. How much God, how much you are on the mind of God. Because this text says, before God ever created anything, you were on his mind. His people, his church, his flock, that's what was on the mind of God. That he chose before he ever created, before the foundation, to call a people unto himself, his church, dear friend. And we learn about the love of God and how it, it reaches even into eternity pasts and grasps our souls. But dear friend, as the Bible says, even though he has chosen us, he has next called us into salvation. You see, go, those whom God has chosen, the Bible says he has called. And how does God call you and me into salvation? He does it through the work of regeneration. He makes us alive. You see, the Bible says we're born into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And a spiritually dead person can't come to a living God. So God has to make us alive. He has to regenerate us. So he sends his Holy Spirit down to this world and he calls us effectually to himself and he does that by taking this cold heart of stone the old testament says and making it this warm beating heart of flesh he makes you alive in christ when jesus was talking to nicodemus about this how did he describe this you must be born again you got to be born from above you have to be regenerated Nicodemus to come to know Christ and that's what God does in this effectual call he takes the spiritually dead and brings them to spiritual life dear friend and in doing so as the catechism says he enables you and me to embrace Jesus Christ by grace through faith you see friends those whom God has chosen he's called and those who he called, he regenerates. And he does that to save people from their sins. Because this next step is justification. Let's look at the second part. Saved by God. Saved by God. You see this phrase in verse 13. He chose you as the first fruits to be what? Saved. Saved from your sins. So let's talk about salvation. Do you remember a few weeks ago, our brother Hunter, he was preaching outside under the portico. He taught us that salvation has three main parts. Your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification. Let's talk about those three parts real quick. Justification, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but it, for, it teaches us that the penalty of sin is gone. Sanctification takes away the second P, which is the power of sin. And glorification takes away the third P, which is the presence of sin. But let's zoom in on this first one. Justification, what does that mean? We'll put it on the screen. This is Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33. What is justification? Follow along here. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justification, 
dear friend, means that we are declared righteous by a holy God. Here's the biblical picture. On this side, the Bible says you have a sinner. That could be me, that could be you. But on the other side, you have the Savior, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is perfectly righteous. And the Bible says that all the sins of this sinner have been imputed or charged to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that there can't be justification without imputation. What does imputation mean? It means to charge. The King James Version is reckon. Remember reading the King James? It's not I reckon, but God reckons sins to Christ. Think about it this way. Do you have a debit card in your wallet or your purse? See, you can take that debit card and you could, you could really have what I call a positive or a negative imputation. Like you can go to Walmart, you can buy groceries, $200 swiped on your card. That's a negative imputation, right? You owe a debt, right? That is put on your account. That's charged to your account. You could also maybe take your paycheck to your bank you could use your debit card at the bank and you could have a credit to your account, right? You put in your paycheck. That's a positive thing to your account. So to impute means to charge to an account. And you can have a negative or a positive charge to your account. Friends, this is how justification works. You see, on this side, you have the Lord, you have the sinner, and there is a negative imputation, a negative charge, because the, the bad stuff is sent this way to who? The Savior. Yet, the Savior says to you and me, I'm going to charge to you my righteousness. The righteousness that Christ merited has been charged back to you. You see, I call it the great exchange. Christ takes our sin, but he imputes to us his righteousness. And by the way, this is received by grace through faith. Let's ask some questions here. On this side, is Jesus a sinner? Absolutely not. Was he declared to be a sinner for you and me? Yes, he was, because he was charged with our sin. How about on this side? Am I righteous? Are you righteous? Of course we're not. But can you and I be declared righteous by God because of what Christ has done for us? Yes. And you see, justification is this declaration of righteousness based on this great exchange. And the Bible says that it's received by grace through faith. And in being justified, the penalty, that first P that Hunter taught us, is gone. Dear friends, I think back in my own life, at age six, under the preaching of God's word at my Baptist church, I was sitting on the third row, I heard the gospel. I want you to know that night, God got a hold of my heart, and I was justified by grace through faith. I look back upon that, and I know that the penalty of my sin was gone because Christ took it. I was justified. I was saved. But dear friend... God has chosen us, he's called us, he regenerates us. He gives us faith and repentance that we might believe and be justified. The justified are adopted. It doesn't talk about adoption in this text, so we're going to skip it right now. But those he adopts, he what? He sanctifies. You see, those who are justified are also sanctified. When we talked about sanctification, Hunter reminded us that sanctification takes away the power of sin. What is sanctification? Let's look at it on the screen. 
Question 35 of the Catechism. Sanctification is not an act. It's a work of God's free grace. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Dear friend, if you remember when we studied 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul said sanctification is something that Christians do more and more and more. You see, justification was a one-time act, never to be repeated. But sanctification, that's something that you and I should grow in every single day as believers. It's our growth in grace and holiness. And dear friend, God has given us the means to grow in His grace. His Word, prayer, being under the preaching of God's Word, being in fellowship with one another. And this text says here in 2 Thessalonians, it's done by God's Spirit. The Spirit of God, verse 13 says, is the one that sanctifies us. Look at it. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, the more that you encounter the truth of God's Word, the more, dear friend, that you are going to be sanctified. So while justification takes away the penalty, sanctification takes away the power of sin, that we live more every day unto God and less to this Old world, But dear friend, as you know, we're not finished with the chain. It still goes. Because those God sanctifies, they persevere. That means an endurance all the way to the end, never giving up. But one day, dear friend, we're going to be what? Glorified. Those who are justified will be sanctified. Those who are sanctified will be glorified. And at that, on that day, the presence of sin will will be removed. What is glorification? Let's look at this question. No specific question on the word glorification in the catechism, but it does ask this. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? You see, what we learn from the Bible is that when Jesus comes back and we are raised to life, that's when we're going to be glorified. So here's the answer. The Bible says, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Dear friend, have you ever heard this phrase, now but not yet? Now but not yet? Because that's what the Bible teaches us about salvation. Here's what I mean. Right now, if you know Jesus, you've been justified. You've been regenerated. You've been chosen and called. Right now, you've been adopted. You're being sanctified right now. You're, being, you're, you're persevering right now. But dear friend, there's a not yet. There's something better that's coming. As I've said once before, your best life is not right now. Your best life is to come. Hear me on that. It's not me saying this. This is, this is the Bible saying this. Okay, the Christian life is that of good, better, and best. The best is yet to come because the Bible says on the day Jesus Christ comes back, we are going to be raised with him. These mortal bodies will put on immortality. These corruptible bodies will put on incorruption. On that day, dear friend, the saying will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? And we will be made Blessed, blessed by God in the presence of Christ. Do you know that that's the day 
that the good shepherd's going to come up to you and say, hey, come on in. You're part of my flock. That's the day the advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, will acquit you before a holy God because of what he's done for you. And that is the day that we will be able to share in the glory along with Jesus Christ to be glorified with his Father because we are co-heirs with him. We are children of God. Dear friend, this is the great chain of salvation that God has given us. There is a now, yes, but listen, there is a not yet that is to come. Ponder this chain. Ponder this. And what can you take away from all of this teaching and preaching today? I hope you can take away several things, dear friend. First of all, I want you to know that this whole chain of salvation, this whole work from beginning to end, involves the Trinity. Did you see that in the text? Did you see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mentioned in this text? That all three persons are involved in bringing you to salvation? Verse 13 says the Father chose you. Verse 13 also says the Spirit sanctifies you. Verse 14 says there is a future glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. How amazing is that, dear friend? Secondly, I want you to know and be reminded that what God starts, he completes. What he starts in your life, he completes. God will never let you go. See, our security rests in what God does for us, dear friend, in this great chain of salvation. And as I mentioned earlier, if you struggle with assurance of salvation today, I hope that this passage, I hope that all of these passages are a blessing to you and they remind you of what God starts, he finishes. And if that's the case, dear friend, hear this last point, and it comes from verse 15. Paul is saying to them, so then, you see it in the text, so then, brothers, in other words, after hearing about this chain of salvation, what do you do? How do you live your life? Here it is. Stand firm. And hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Friends, basically for you and me, what this means is stand firm in the scriptures. Hold on to the word of God. It is truth in a world that is filled with lies. Persevere. Be faithful. Because what God has started in you, dear friend, he will bring it to completion. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Friends, I pray that this sermon gives you a kind of an overview of this great chain of salvation. We could spend a sermon on every single one of these parts, but I pray that that this serves as a good overview for you. And I pray it's an encouragement to you to keep serving the Lord, to find your assurance in his promises towards you. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you, God, for giving us this great picture of how you apply redemption to our lives. And Father, we are so encouraged and reminded today that what you begin in us, you will complete. And our hope, oh God, is in you. If there's one here today under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they would be drawn savingly to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would send your Holy Spirit, call them, Father, unto yourself, that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. And for those believers here today, 
who are, um, who've been saved, Father, and who are being sanctified, who are persevering. I pray that they would be reminded that, yes, there is a now, but there's also a not yet. Something better is store for them, Lord, to come. And that that uh, involves your second coming, Lord, that we might share with you in that glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.